Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you have seen fit to reveal to us not only Jesus, but also what you have called us to in him. And that you have set us apart. You have clothed us in his righteousness. You've um, filled us with his spirit. And you, you are using us uh, as a means of displaying your glory to proclaim the day of reconciliation for those who are um, apart from Christ, separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. We pray that we would be faithful to that calling, not only in the words that we say, but in the lives that we live. We ask for your help in both of those areas. We ask that your word be sharp on us this morning, that you would... um, cut away what's not necessary and direct us and change us from the heart to be what you are, um, what you have designed for us to be, what you've prepared for us to be from the foundation of the world. We pray with these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at Exodus 30. Exodus 30, starting in verse 22. Uh, I'm sure you remember this. Uh, back in chapter 25, lo, those many moons ago, uh, when we talked about the general instructions for the, ta- the building of the tabernacle, and part of those instructions included the anointing oil and incense. They were to, they were to make these two things. Well, today, uh, we're going to look a little bit more, uh, at a little bit more detail um, on the incense and the anointing oil uh, and, and the formulas involved for, for making those. So, more statutes dealing with the tabernacle and the, and the instruments used and the means of which God is uh, worshipped by Israel at this time in the tabernacle with these two, two elements. So, let's look at verse 22 in chapter 30. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is, 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of acacia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on on, on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. Verse 34. The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stakte, is that right? Stockte. Uh, and Annika 
and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall, be, shall there be an equal part, and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. Okay? Um, what do you do with this? Again, we're looking at something very odd here. He gives the exact formula for this oil. You've got uh, a, a very unique formula. Four spices mixed with olive oil. formula was unique as the product was holy in God's economy. Most holy. What kind of spices? What does it say? What kind of spices? What is the finest, expensive? Uh, the, literally, the word, uh, the, the Hebrew here uh, uses the term spices head. And I only bring this out to make this point. Um, the, the word head in, um, in, in uh, the Hebrew sometimes can, of course, mean the head, but also can mean um, that. Uh, that, that it's the, the, the chief, the, um, the finest, the, um, the most valuable of something. Um, and we see that used a lot in the, um, the New Testament when you have, like, uh, he, gave him, he put him his head over all things and made him, uh, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Or you see the term firstborn among the dead. Um, I had, I had it locked for reason, Carly. Um, I'm kidding. Sorry, I bumped it. My bad. Um, so you see that, uh, that idea of head being chief, best, or first. Um, look at these four spices. Does anybody, uh, does anybody know what these are? Do, do you know what these are? Cinnamon, kind of, kind of used a lot uh, at this time of year, especially. Potpourri is aromatic cane, right? <laughs> Liquid myrrh. Let's look at that one first. It's the first one there. Uh, some translated a fly, a fine flowing myrrh. What is myrrh? Do you know what myrrh is? Am I s- no, I was glue. <laughs> Somebody said glue. <laughs> Um, they don't get that reference. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yes. So myrrh is an, a kind of an aromatic gum. An aromatic gum. And it has kind of a bitter taste. It's not native to Palestine. Stein. Palestine. Palestine. Or Palestine either for that matter. Uh, it grows in Arabia. The finest myrrh 
is the type that secretes through the bark of the tree. It comes out of the bark of the tree. It's fine flowing or free flowing. It's a, it's a, a liquid myrrh. And that's the best stuff. And that's what he said. Put it in the oil. So it's expensive. You've got to go get this stuff from Arabia. You've got to cultivate it. It's expensive because I've got to culti cultivate it, you know, get it off this bark, and, and make it into this, um, this, this gum. Next, cinnamon uh, is the word that's used here. It's also expensive, not native to Palestine. Uh, it's the inner bark of a particular type of evergreen tree, also Arabian. Um, it's not white pine. It's not southern southern pine. This is a, a specific tree, specific stuff, very rare, very expensive. The other two things, the words that are translated, at least in the ESV, are um, aromatic cane and cassia. We don't know what these are. I mean, the cane may be some type of aromatic reed. It's mentioned in Jeremiah 6.20. The, the translation cassia here is a guess, and I don't know why they chose that word. I don't know what that is in any other context, but Anyway, that's, that's the word that's used. Um, the, it also appears in Ezekiel 27, 19. We just know that it was a fragrant plant. That's all we know. So a lot of these ingredients that you're going to see today, we don't know what they are. We have kind of an idea, just kind of the root of the word, how it works, but we don't have a one-to-one -one relationship with the with language here. Um, but what's important is that they were chosen at God's will to make a unique oil. He's the one that designed the formula for the oil, right? It's his description, his commandment, his uh, specific requirement that this oil be used in the tabernacle and nothing else. Why anoint a thing? What's the point of that? Even the smell is supposed to be most holy. Okay. So you're marking it as holy, whatever you touch. You're marking it as holy. Um, what does that mean? Set apart. Set apart for what? For God's use and service. Um, it, an act of anointing an object or a person occurs in the Old Testament primarily to, to signify dedication for service and the beginning of something. You see kings anointed with oil to begin their reign. Uh, you see, uh, here today, we see all the, the tabernacle and all the utensils and all the furniture anointed for service, inauguration of service. They're set apart. They're no longer common. They're no longer common. David was shepherd boy. He's anointed king. He's no longer common. He's now king, right? Because of that anointing, he's no longer common. He's set apart. Because of the anointing, the table, which is just a table, becomes something else, becomes special, becomes set apart, becomes unique and holy. Um, the tabernacle and its objects are anointed to show that they are set apart. They are no longer common and not to be used in ordinary ways. From this point forward, they are to be used only in reference to God. I don't use the table of showbread to throw a party on. I don't use the Ark of the Covenant to, you know, as a centerpiece instead of a fireplace. It's only for service to God. The anointing of the oil signifies that event. It's set apart, no longer common. All right. So, verse 29. This is the second time we've seen this. Does, does 29 indicate that there's some kind of contagious holiness thing going on here? It's like, you know, put your hands on the TV. Is this a contagious holiness thing? If you touch it, 
You become holy. Ask Uzzah. He touched it and was found to be not holy, and it killed him. Does, doesn't it? We've talked about this before. Go ahead. Oh, well, I don't know. It, it reminds me of when Jesus was walking down the street and the woman with the issue of blood touched him. Mm-hmm. He did, she would have made a, a normal priest um, unclean because mm-hmm. anyone with an issue of blood right. would make someone else unclean. Right. But in the case of Jesus, who was the anointed one, right. And in sticking with his unique nature, that's not what's going on here. Okay. He's unique. <laughs> and I'm glad you brought that distinction out because it's not, this is where the difference, there's a difference in, in the anointing. Of, no, that's good. Not chastising. That's good. But it's a distinction. Christ, that happens, not with the table, not with the altar, not with any of that stuff. What it means here, this is a command that not only those, that, that only those who have been set apart, the priests and the Levites, only those who have been set apart may touch the holy objects. They're set apart for service with these things. This is not, this is not for the ordinary person to touch. Except in those ex, uh, uh, situations like with the horns of the altar when people are looking for asylum. Those are agreed to or, or commanded uh, allowances for them to touch it. Um, who else is it? Well, not only is the furniture in the tabernacle anointed, the priests are anointed, yes? Aaron and his sons are anointed with this specific oil. Notice the contrast of Aaron and his sons to the people of Israel in the next verse. There's a distinction made between the priests, Aaron and his sons, and the people of Israel. There's a distinction between those who are set apart and the rest of the nation. All right, notice this issue here. You're not to even make a compound that is similar to this oil. No knockoffs here. No, no, uh, well, I'll get into trademark issues later, but the, the point is that the anointing oil is not to be duplicated and marketed with the latest desert fashion, you know. It makes it common. That's exactly right. And so much was the temptation. You could own, I remember Lynn Luther, you could have one, there were enough, uh, the, the, the tooth of uh, the Apostle Thomas or whatever, he starts talking about all these things, making this stuff just readily available. Um, it's common. It, it, it becomes a, a, a huckster thing. I've got the exact same formula they use in the temple. You can use it in your, you know, anoint your, whatever. You have this very clear command that things that are even similar to this are not to be tolerated. Even the the anointing oil itself is set apart. Even the anointing oil is set apart, yes. It's a unique formula, it's a unique composition, and even something that's, you know, a little bit off. And I guess the rabbis spent centuries debating how off can you be, you know, but the, the intent is, this is to be unique. This is to be totally separate. The oil is holy and is, to be, and is only to be put on the priest. The oil belongs to God, and he bestows it on whom he will. 
He bestows that oil on whom he will. Um, what happens if they do the knockoff? What happens if they put it on somebody who's common? What's the penalty? Cut off from their people, from his people, it says. What does that mean? Yeah. Permanently. You're out of camp. You're excommunicated from the camp. There is national discipline upon the person to put them out for being this knockoff artist. Could be banished as well. Is that what you're... Um, I'm not, I'm not seeing how, okay. Look at verse 34. Let's go back to something relevant. 34. Again, the ingredients here are uncertain. I don't know why they use some of these words in the English translation other than just to embarrass Sunday school teachers on Sunday morning because they can't pronounce this stuff. I don't know what, nobody knows what this stuff is. Uh, Stockte, I think that's how you say it. Stockte, Stockte, might be some kind of myrrh again. Um, Onika, or Nika, might be some part of a mollusk that emits, you know, some type of pungent odor. And Golibanum, that just, that's just completely out of the air. I mean, nobody knows what that is. It was the word that was used by the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, um, and nobody knows what it is. They just keep using that word. Nobody knows what it is. I guess that pretty much cinches the fact that we'll never repeat this formula, which is what God wanted. <laughs> well, there, there is. I, I know that they have some. I know that they have holy oil at Lifeway. Well, maybe. Here you have the thing in equal parts. These three spices on the one hand, and on the other, frankincense. And that's the formula for the incense. And it's the same prohibition against knockoffs. It's not to be used for luxury. It's not to be used to make myself, you know, I'm, I've got the latest incense. It's not, there's none of that. It's not a luxury item. This is holy purpose. Holy service. And he says add salt to it. Why would they add salt? It's expensive. Salt's expensive. Preservation of the incense, maybe? It's a unique thing with salt. When you set it on fire, apparently it puts out a white smoke. So there's a visual compound to this. There's a white... Get away from how, we determine, how they determine popes. That's not the issue. It's, it's the incense in the temple for God's service, not man's purposes of power control and um, um, aberrant authority. Okay. So you have salt added to give forth a white smoke when burned. Um, it's also added to the sacrifices, and it seems like that has the same effect, this, this white smoke on the, on the sacrifices. The point here, again, is that the ingredients are chosen by God for His purpose. He determines how it's made. He determines how it's used. It's His purpose. All right. What do you do with this as a Christian post-tabernacle, post-temple, post-cross in the U.S. where we don't have a Jerusalem anyway, we can't even wail at a wall? What do you do with this? Well, you look to the New Testament. How do the apostles use this? How does God use this? With Christ, 
God does not solicit our contribution of anointing oil. He provides it for himself. Right? He provides it for himself. Uh, Jesus quoted in Luke uh, 4.18, he quotes Isaiah and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, set apart for service. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Peter uh, testified that Christ, Messiah, the Lord's anointed, was anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and power, Acts 10.38. He went doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Uh, Peter says, for God was with him. God's presence is that anointing. His Holy Spirit. You remember the baptism of Christ? We have this great picture of the Trinity. The Father says, this is my Son, whom I am well pleased. Jesus comes out of the water as the Son. And then what happens? The dove descends and descends on him, rests on him. There's an anointing there of his Spirit. God's presence, his anointing of Christ, led to a very distinct life. Yes? Yeah? I understand anointing and I understand uh, holy, like set apart and stuff. The thing that I don't really understand is why the compound has to be so unique. Because it seems like God's MO throughout the rest of Scripture is to take common, almost worthless things and by Him, by His power, make them special, make them holy, make them set apart, and lift common, dirty, nasty <clears throat> things up to purity or holiness. This, that's what doesn't really make sense with this, is it's, a, it's of the finest materials, mm -hmm. and it's an unreplicatable compound. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I agree with that, because we look at the gold and the fine linens and the the stones and stuff that we've seen throughout all this, I mean, that's all pretty important stuff, too. So, I don't know. It, so, you're so you're, just to clarify, you're saying that because of the, the ingredients put together, you don't know why it would be so unique in the ingredients, because God usually takes common things and makes them holy. You're saying, but with the, with the gold and the, and the finer things, those are uncommon yeah. things, and those are used in the tabernacle. So there's a uniqueness with that material alone. Yeah. theme throughout this whole thing in the temple where he, he does take the, um, the altar and everything is made of common wood mm -hmm. but, but overlaid with something less common it, was it bronze for the altar? Yes, but, we, we clarified that. But then that, the altar of incense is actually gold. Right. So th there are common things overlaid with something precious mm -hmm. and in this case there's common they're not the most common, but they're priests. They're still human. Mm -hmm. That are that, that the, are now the covered with something that is unique. Is covering mm -hmm. them. So there's this idea of things. That so the oil, in, in essence, becomes like gold. The, it's a unique, precious thing. There's this idea of common okay, well, that's interesting. Being covered by uncommon. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Go ahead. I, as we were talking, I was thinking, kind of connecting the dots and stuff. At Christ's birth, have you ever, you guys, ever seen the? Uh, the, the astronomical video that shows how all the stars, what's that called? 
or Bethlehem Star video? No. I'm this guy who's a lawyer uh, uses modern day software and goes uh, way back in time in software mm -hmm. to the day that Jesus was born, mm -hmm. the day of the cross and all that stuff. And he shows all these common um, astronomy signs uh -huh. of the lion and of kingliness and all this kind of stuff and, and figures out what is going on in the sky to show how all this stuff comes together. And I guess I'm relating it to this because you take fairly common stuff, cinnamon, I don't know what half of these other things are, but they're, they're unique things in and of themselves, but the combination is... They're, they're unique because they're uncommon, especially here. Right. They are uncommon. I, I mean, they're from Arabia, they're very expensive. Not everybody's going to have this stuff. So, and, and then on top of that, there's a unique combination of those unique right. elements to make something that is completely set apart, so completely the, holy. The spectacular thing about this is the combination of them. Same at Jesus' birth, all the, the prophecies mm. that come into mm. play and all the stars in the sky and the people and what's going on on earth and all this stuff, that is all common stuff, sort of, that comes together and it's the combination of, of how Christ fulfilled all that. Maybe there's a if I were looking at the oil, the, the anointing, the way that the New Testament authors look at the anointing, there's nothing like the Holy Spirit. There is no person like the Holy Spirit. And when He comes on Christ, it's a display of the uniqueness of the work of Jesus to all other men. There's none like Christ. Um, and then they go one step further. In 2 Corinthians 1.21, Paul says this, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. The uniqueness of the Spirit falling on Jesus and being in His life, the presence of God being in His life, Paul says that anointing for us in Christ, that anointing for us in Christ is there. If you're in Christ, you are not annoying, you're set apart to be anointed. Most of the time. No knockoffs are permitted. No knockoffs are permitted here. We, hmm. The Lord knows who are His. Right? He knows those who are His. You cannot take what is holy and use it for common purposes, like, like Paul's uh, injunction on the misuse of uh, communion. <laughs> it's not for you just to get full, get your belly full and your thirst quenched. It's a holy purpose. It's a specific set-apart ceremony to display the worth of Christ and the unity of the body in Him. That's what it's for. Don't come to the table just to fill your stomach. That's, that's Paul's injunction to the Corinthians. They're apparently feasting and having a riotous party over the Lord's Supper. They made what was holy common. First John 2.20 But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. Skips down to verse 27. But the anointing that you received from Him 
abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. Why are we here this morning? But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit comes in, comes upon a person, transforms them from the inside out. You can't teach someone to have the Holy Spirit. We tried, we, we had a church that tried to do that to us. There's a language addiction, a thing. Starts with my keys to my Honda or something. I don't know. You, you work off of that and just, you're suddenly filled with the Spirit. You can, there are schools of how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. No, John says. Well, that would have worked if you had just maintained. You wouldn't have thrown the Fruit of the Spirit board game on the floor. You can't teach someone how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you do, it's a knockoff. It's God's formula. It's God's intention. It's His work. It's His will to set apart whom He will. His Spirit teaches us. And what does He teach us? Practice. Abide in Him. Abide in Him. Don't fall into the trap of knockoff Christianity. I get very nervous on these types of lessons. I get very nervous. Because it's real easy to, to just, the jargon just comes. We listen to all the right preachers. We know the lingo. We read the right books. We know the lingo. It just comes naturally. <clears throat> I can rattle off script and sound holy. Right? It's very easy. Our words may have all the right ingredients, but they can be merely a luxury to ease our conscience from truly pursuing Christ and a life set apart wholly to Him. If it's not changing us on the inside, it's a knockoff. Abide in Christ. Pursue Him. It is a heart transformed, displayed in a life transformed, that demonstrates that someone is set apart, that someone is anointed with His Spirit. Watch out for knockoff Christianity. The kind of life that is transformed will have an effect on the world around you. Um, I love this in 2 Corinthians. Um, Paul, Paul says this. But thanks be to God. 2 Corinthians 2, if you want to follow along. 2 Corinthians 2, 15. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in the triumphal procession. And through us, through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Set apart Christianity. Authentic, God-birthed Christianity. Anointed Christianity. 
causes not just a change, but an effective change to those around us. A fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, he says. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? It's God's work. He takes someone common, anoints them, transforms them, and sets them apart for service. And all of life is temple work. All of it. There's not time off from this. There's no vacation time. Everything we do, Tammy and I are doing uh, this little, you know, those little apps that you have because you know when you get older and you get fat, you got to watch your calories. Not Tammy, me. She's really pressing me forward. So it, it, there's never a time off until you get to cheat day. <laughs> and chocolate cookies, chocolate chip cookies are on the order for cheat day. And then you get on the scale the next day. It's like ah, oh, there's no cheat day in this. You're anointed. You stay anointed. You stay in service. We're not to combine common and holy things in what we do, how we live, how we think, how we play, how we treat one another, how we treat those outside. It's all temple work. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, hucksters, knockoff artists, that's not us. But as men of sincerity. Are we sincere about this? Are we sincere? Are we men moving to mature manhood? Sorry, ladies. Mature manhood. That's the language of the, of the New Testament. I'm sure there's a translation out there that's gender you know, neutral, but... It's the language of the New Testament that we move to maturity. Men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, set apart. There's that language again. In the sight of God, we're under his gaze, walking, living. And we speak Christ. It's what we're called to do. It is something that permeates. When they anointed someone, they poured it on the head. And it went all the way down. You see the, the language of the head, the beard, the, all the way down to the feet. There is no part of your life that is unclaimed by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you're in Him, you're His. Always. Set apart. So where does that leave us when we fail? Um, Philip says this uh, every now and then uh, when he gets really wound up. You know how he starts he, he'll do this little pump in the arms thing. Every now and then he'll get wound up and he'll say something. Thank you. We have a routine that we do back and forth. He does me, I do him. It's the kind of thing. Um, he, he, said, he, said, he said this several times and the first time he said it to me I got really angry. Um, but I've, I've kind of calmed down since then. He, he says that um, Fight hard against sin. I'm paraphrasing here, but the, the idea is fight hard against sin because you never know when that 
sin is the one that will display that you are never in Christ to begin with. That you will not repent. That you'll keep going. That's a heavy statement. That's a heavy calling. That's a scary statement. We're not to coast. We're not to coast in holiness, in the pursuit of holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And yet we have an advocate before the Father, the Anointed One, Jesus Christ, the righteous, set apart to intercede for us, it says in Hebrews, as our great high priest. What a gift. What a blessing. What a comfort that he lives to intercede for us when we fail. And we will. Don't stay there. Any comments? Any questions? All right. I will pray. God, going through this again, I'm reminded of that passage. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a holy God. And I know in my own heart, I don't stand in awe often enough, if ever, of your holiness. I don't feel the weight that I should of the junk in my own heart when I stand before you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you see this inconsistent, rebellious son as you would see Christ in spite of me. But I don't want to stay there. And I pray that nobody in here wants to stay there. Draw us closer to you. Give us hearts that pursue Jesus, not just knowledge about him, not just doctrine, not just the, the creeds and, and all those things that are good things, but don't let us rest in the head knowledge. Move us from the heart out. Not just for our own personal holiness, but also that we would be an aroma of Christ to the world around us. Not fearful, not habitually inconsistent between what we say and what we do. We want to be authentic. We don't want to be knockoffs. And that only comes by your power, through your spirit, in faith in Christ. That's where we want to be. We pray that you make it so, in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.